Uh, let's take our Bibles here and let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, again, I'm going to begin uh, to talk to you again tonight on uh, the subject of fiery trials. And so we'll begin here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, where we've uh, been here and looked at some thoughts from this chapter. Uh, and again, I want us again to consider some thoughts on a fiery trial here tonight. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, the Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. So we should be glad someday when we're able to meet the Lord and uh, these trials pass by us. Verse 19, it says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. We've looked at some thoughts on fiery trials, and I just want to mention again some things about fiery trials. Again, the reason for trials sometimes is to bring about a bitter good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And so the events of our life and the things that happen in our life happen, again, to bring about God's purpose and good. We also looked again at trials. They sometimes build and help build patience and trust in us. Uh, we looked at Noah, an example, and his family as an example of this as they went through a long quarantine time where they spent over a year uh, without being outside this boat, this, again, this, this ship that was built, again, to save their lives. And uh, they could just look out this window, what I call a window of hope out that window, and they could see light, and they could see sunshine, and all those kind of things. But they had to stay within this boat until God opened the door and told them to leave. And so sometimes trials can build patience and trust in us. I believe, again, that was built in Noah and his family, and uh, last week we looked at David and, his, and uh, his men there in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I believe in this case, again, the, the trial came so that they might trust in the Lord, even the most difficult of situations. They had lost, again, their families, again, to kidnapping by the enemy, and they had lost, again, again some things through a fire that occurred there in the city. And they were to trust God and to seek his will and to follow his way. And in the end, they were rewarded, both those that went to battle and those that stayed by the stuff were both rewarded as they exercised faith in their God and did according to the will of God. Let's turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a familiar text here tonight as we consider why the fiery trials, and this will certainly deal with a fire trial, a literal fire trial. And so we're going to consider this not from the Word of God here tonight. And we're going to look at the trying of three in the area of worship. And uh, they were tried in this area of worship, and they came through uh, certainly with flying covers and certainly were to protect the Lord, and you know the story to some degree. But let's begin here in Daniel chapter 3 as we consider the trying of three in the area of worship. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 1, I'll read through verse number 14. We'll read and we'll cover the whole chapter, but I'll just start out with these first 14 verses. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height 
was three score cubits in breadth, thereof was six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the consulars, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, captains, the judges, the treasurers, the consulars, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province were gathered together on the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whosoever falleth not down or worshipeth shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, thou O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sulkbutt, uh, psaltery and dulcimer and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he that should be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who must set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee nor served, uh, uh, served not thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then the Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and a fury, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? We consider here tonight why the fiery trials, and we consider the trials that came to these three men. But let's pray as we consider this thought. Father, thank you again for a chance to get together to hear from your word. I thank you again for the ability, again, that we have to, to learn the word, to gain wisdom from it, to understand your will by it. Again, just ask, Lord, you just bless this time as we meet and hear from your word here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at a trying worship. And certainly, again, I believe there are some trials in our life when it comes to worship. And I'm not going to go into any really great big details about worship here tonight. But you will be tried throughout your life when it comes to worship. You'll be tried on where you should worship, why you should worship, who you should worship, must we even worship, if we should change our worship, if this truly is biblical worship, What's the difference between biblical worship and contemporary worship? Is there but acceptable worship or is some worship rejected? What is not worship? We could talk about many things when it comes to worship, but we see them tried in this place of worship. 
As we think about worship, each one of us, I believe, will be tried when it comes to worship. Let's turn, if we would, to Matthew chapter 4. Again, keep a marker here. We're going to be back here, and most of the time we're going to be spending our time in Daniel chapter 3, but I'd have you turn over to Matthew chapter 4 as we see the Lord Jesus tried in many different areas, but certainly in this place of worship. In Matthew 4, we get to the end of his temptations. He had been tempted uh, 40 days there, and and I've been tempted 40 days in the wilderness, and we see some last temptations that he faces. In Daniel chapter 4, verse uh, Daniel 3, it mentions some things about them being tasted in worship. Now we see in Matthew 4 that Jesus was tested in worship. Let's read through these verses, these first 12 here, to begin with here. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So he's going to be tempted or tested. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Then the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I just want to mention he was tempted when it came to food or, or eating or provision. And so we see this here to begin with. It says in verse 5, Then the devil taketh him up to a holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. It says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou should dance a foot against a stone. He said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so you see also here in the Bible, he's not only again uh, tested or tempted when it came to food, but he's also tempted or tested when it came to foolish behavior. Certainly tossing someone off, of, tossing yourself off of the temple and expecting the angels to take care of you. That's certainly a foolish kind of behavior. But you read on there, it says in verse 8 again, it says, Again, the devil taketh them up to an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdom of the world and the glory of them. And he saith on them, all these will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Only one we should serve or worship is God. And Jesus mentions this. He was tempted that the devil uh, again, to worship the devil or to worship someone other than God. And he said, we're not to worship anyone else but the Lord only. We could talk about worship here tonight, and I'm going to do a little brief little talk here to begin on the subject of worship. Let's turn over the book of Psalms. There's a lot in the book of Psalms on the subject of worship. Again, the book of Psalms is a book of songs that certainly, again, uh, we are to sing. The Bible talks about singing and, uh, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so these are uh, songs and psalms that should be sung. In Psalm chapter 29, verse number 2, it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. And so we are to worship the Lord for His holiness. Psalm 96, let's turn over there. Why do we worship God? Because He's holy. Why do we worship God? There's certainly a lot of different reasons to worship God. He is certainly, again, someone who is able to do things that false gods cannot do. 
They can't do anything for you, false gods. Psalm 96, verse 9, it says, O worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say unto the heathen, The Lord reigneth, and the world also shall be established, that it shall not be, he shall judge the people with righteousness. Why should we worship God? Because he is going to judge us, and also he is to be feared by us. Let's turn to Psalm 138. On one side, again, you see that we should worship the Lord because of his holiness. We see, again, we should worship the Lord because he is to be feared. We also see here in the Bible, in Psalm 138, we are to worship the Lord because we love him and we love his truth. Psalm chapter 138, verse number 2, it says, O worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Thou praise him for his loving kindness and for his truth. We're to worship him because he is kind, he is loving, and he is the center of truth. But let's turn back to Daniel chapter 3. As we see these three tried in the area of worship, I want us to understand here tonight that we will be tried throughout life when it comes to worship. Every person, every generation, every church, I believe every church member, every person, again, who has opportunity to hear about God is going to be tested or tried in this area of worship. And so I want to consider, first of all, here tonight, the nature of this trial. Again, we're just going to read to these verses, and we'll see the nature as we just go through these verses. We see, first of all, there was a demand for corporate, idolatrous worship. A government demand for corporate, idolatrous worship. We see this decree made by Nebuchadnezzar as he sets an image to be be. Uh, bow down to and worship. Verse 1, it says, The king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and breadth was six cubits. So this is, again, a, a large image, or we would call a statue if we were probably to see it. It stood some 90 feet tall and some 9 feet wide, and so really it's a, it's a huge, tall, skinny image of Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if he was tall and skinny, but the dimensions there, uh, to some degree, would... Uh, somewhat seemingly go along that lines, but you find a 90-foot tall image, and it mentions this, uh, nine, the breadth of it being nine feet wide. And so you find this set up in the plain of Dura, the province of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, gathers together. It mentions there the princes, verse 2, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the consulars, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And so he's going to have a time where the leaders, and this is really all that I see here, the leadership in the countries, the providences, all these kind of people are going to gather together at a dedication to this image. So they're going to get together and they're going to show off this image. And when they show off this image, all these leaders are supposed to come to a place where they bow down before this huge statue. And it mentions there in verse number three, towards the end, it says, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so all these guys, these people, whoever they were that were in places of leadership, they stand there. Then it says in verse four, then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, languages, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of millers that you shall fall down and worship the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar 
uh, the king has set up. And so they set again um, some music before they're going to show and have people worship this image. And so this person sounds off the cornet and they are to follow by other musics. And when this uh, music stops there, they're supposed to fall down and worship the image. And if they don't, verse 6, it says, And whosoever falleth not down to worship shall be the same hour cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So we first of all see the demand for corporate worship. You know, it might be a day that comes that it will demand the government or command us someday to corporately worship something that we should not. I'm not saying it's coming. I'm not saying we're going to be part of it. I know in the tribulation period, you're going to see again an image set up there during the tribulation period, an image that's set up for people to corporately worship. And people will worship that image. And people that will not worship that image will be put to death. Sounds a lot like this. Just a little different. And so these people, they were commanded, these people to prostrate themselves before this image. They were to come before this image and they were to dedicate uh, be a part of the dedication of this image and the penalty there uh, for not worshiping this image would be death. And so secondly, I want to say here tonight the penalty for no corporate idolatrous worship was a severe punishment to be cast into a fiery furnace. Now that's extreme, isn't it? I think that's pretty extreme. I, I would say most people say that's pretty extreme. If you don't worship at this decree, you're one of these leaders and you don't worship at this decree, uh, that same hour you're going to be cast in a fiery furnace. And so we see the decree made, the king makes this decree, they, the people hear this decree, and, and every one of them really is in a fiery trial now. There's a pressure, to, pressure of penalty if they're not going to follow this government decree. There's a, a penalty that can follow again of them being tossed in this fiery fiery a furnace. Doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter where they are in position in leadership, this would happen to any one of them. It's interesting these days to hear about the different decrees going on around the world when it comes to leaders of the world. I've never heard of so, so, so much dictatorship type orders around the world. I'm just being honest. I've never heard in my lifetime, I don't think anybody's really ever heard uh, so many democracies acting like dictators and even uh, different places acting like dictators. It doesn't matter if you're in a country like Germany or you're in Philippines or you're in South Africa or you're in America or you're in Mexico or wherever you might be, but you have people dictating things to the populace out there and they're commanding people. Some are suggesting, I'm not saying all are commanding people, uh, to do different things, but if you don't do these things, you could be fined. I mean, just reading that letter from the Ukraine there and uh, finding out that in the Ukraine there, if they are to meet there and gather together in a place of worship, they would uh, fine each person that comes to that place and find the pastor and find the leader there and those sorts of things. These, just, these decrees today, again, I, I'm not saying they're of the same level that the decrees that were made back here, but I think about the decrees of governments and authorities over time. And, and you'll find, again, I believe when it comes to worship, many generations have been tried when it comes to decrees of government worship or religious decrees when it comes to worship. And if you don't do this, we'll destroy you. The penalty in the dark ages was death to many people if they didn't follow the decrees of the religious rulership at that time. 
The decree during the Dark Ages from, again, government authorities was the same to many people during that time. Decrees in different places. Muslim countries even today have decrees if you do certain things when it comes to worship. The penalty for doing those things is death. And so we see the command and demands of governments here. And uh, the man was bowed down to this gold image and worship it. Verse number seven says, well, what happens to these people? Do the people go along with this or what do they do? Well, it says in verse number seven, it says, therefore, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the, the harp, the sack, but psaltery and all kinds of music, all the people, nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set it up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. I just want to stop there. We see here, thirdly, most of the leaders bowed down and worshipped. Most of the leaders certainly bowed down and worshipped to this idolatrous image. Now, I don't know if they were mostly idolaters or not, but they bowed down. Almost everybody there bowed down. In times of testing and trials, there'll be pressure, I believe, to do things possibly contrary to the word of God, and, and people will bow and do things. Sometimes contrary to the word of God, it, there's a call for conformity when it comes to worship. Nearly all cooperate with the government dictate when it comes to worship of an idol. Bow down to this idol. They did it. Just about everybody did it. We see here, fourthly, a few chose not to worship. A few chose not to worship. And uh, it talks about this. Verse number 9, it says, They spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the, uh, the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, and, and psaltery, and all uh, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth that to be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They've served not thy gods, nor worshipped the golden image which thou hast set up. For a few that ignored the decree, a few refused to bow to the image. Three specific Jews are named here that weren't willing to fall down and worship a golden image. They weren't willing to serve a golden image. They weren't willing to do what this, this uh, king told them to do. They have not regarded thee, verse number 12. It's one of these Babylonian people uh, said there. And so we see the nature of the trial. A few chose not to partake in idolatrous worship. But fifthly, we also see here a few Chaldeans exposed the, the nonconformists that wouldn't bow to this golden image. In verse 8, it mentions who found these guys out. It says, therefore, at that time, certain of the Chaldees came near and accused the Jews. There are certain people, again, during this time of worship that knew that certain of the Jews didn't worship. Now, someone says, well, how do they know that? Well, if they were bowing down, they certainly must have been looking around. Or maybe they found out from somebody else, or I'm not sure how this happened, but they found about um, some people that weren't worshiping. And uh, someone says they exposed the bad behavior of these men, though they exposed the good behavior of these men. 
They expose the good behavior of these men. Turn to Genesis chapter 37. We hear things in the news about whistleblowers, and I just want to mention this when it comes to whistleblowing. That has uh, good and bad connotations today. Uh, I mean, uh, I think about whistleblowers. The, the whistleblower is certainly supposed to be in a place, and again, it's, I understand it to, to uh, if something's going wrong and something's being done uh, when, the way it shouldn't be, etc. They're supposed to, to, to tell other people about it. And, and certainly there's a need for whistleblowers, especially whistleblowers that... Uh, might find out something that's extremely bad or wrong. Genesis chapter 37. I don't know the details here in Genesis 37, verse number 2, but we find here in the Bible Joseph in a place where he's uh, telling on the behavior of his, his brothers, his half-brothers. These are the generation of Jacob. Jacob was 17 years old when he was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So Joseph was in a place where he reported on the bad behavior of the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha. And I believe, again, if someone does something evil, wicked, or wrong, it needs to be reported. If someone does something evil, wicked, wrong in somebody's family, it needs to be reported. It should be reported uh, to someone who can maybe help with this situation or help correct this situation. If you turn back to the book of Daniel, Daniel was in a position where he, and, and, uh, where he was called again here, a little later on here in the book, uh, to a place where he was to stop praying to God. And uh, again, we're, we're not going to look at that here tonight, but Daniel was praying to God. He was habitually praying to God. He was doing the right thing, praying to God. He was doing three times a day. He was praying to God. And certainly that's a good thing to pray to Jehovah God. Uh, we are to pray without ceasing. Daniel prayed three times a day and it was reported of him too. And so I just want to mention that sometimes in fiery trials, it, it might be that some will report your good behavior there's nothing wrong with that. God is in control. But notice here in Daniel chapter 3, we see the reaction of the king to their good behavior, which he looked at as bad behavior because it did follow what he had ordered as a king. And so we see here the raging reaction of the king here in verse 13 and verse number 14. It says that Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? We see this raging reaction of the king. Certainly an extreme reaction to a, a situation. He has the majority of people bowing down before this image, a super, super majority, and they're bowing down before this image. All the leaders of the country are bowing down before this image, except for these three Hebrew, Hebrew uh, men here, and he's mad about it. It's sad when dictators are in a place where they care so, so much about a few that maybe do something that they believe they should do because of their conscience or because of what's right. These men were not going to serve the Lord, these false gods, and they weren't going to bow before this, graven, this golden image, no matter what. 
It seems extreme, doesn't it? At times when you hear about foreign lands today and they have people monitoring, again, people, and they have these drones flying around to find you know, this person on a beach all by themselves, and they send cops there and all kinds of things there. And I think to myself, what is this? To me, it's extreme behavior. Communism, socialism, they again promote, again, lack of freedom. As I look around here today, I, I see again that, that so-called people are essential and some people are not essential. You didn't say, no one's saying that, are they? Well, to a degree they are. They're saying you're essential and somebody else isn't essential. You're an essential worker and this person's not an essential worker. You're essential as a church or you're not essential as a church. I'm not saying, again, what this really means. You have to figure out what this really means, but essential workers... They can go free, but a non-essential person, if they go free in a certain country and they start going around and they decide to leave their shut-in, so to speak, maybe in a place like Germany or Philippines, they're going to be in deep trouble where somebody else isn't. The raging reaction of the king. How did you defy my orders? These same three have been set up there as... Uh, rulers over the providence there. It mentions that back in verse number 12, and now he's turned against these three. We see a second chance to worship these idols afforded these three, and someone says, well, there's grace here. Well, I, I understand that it is a little bit of picture of grace there. He gives them a second chance there in verse 15. Now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, etc., and all kinds of music, you fall down to worship the image which I have well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast at the same hour in the midst of a burning fire of furnace. And who is that God that shall be able to deliver you out of my hands? A second chance to worship images is afforded these three. Trials of worship. They stood and they were doing right when it comes to worship. Just want to mention that sometimes in trials of worship, some are given a second chance to recant or to change their mind when it comes to worship. This happened throughout all history. People, again, placed in different positions in different times, etc., and not tested in this area of worship. Trials of worship, if you be ready, it says, if you be ready, go ahead and do it. It'll be okay if you do it now. Sometimes, again, you'll find, again, some people given a chance to recant or change their mind when it comes to doing certain things. Again, when it comes to worship, I believe, again, we'll be tested when it comes to fame, when it comes to worship. We'll be tested when it comes to work, when it comes to worship. There's a lot of that going on today, isn't there? <laughs> work or worship. You know, I'm just saying this. I mean, I'll just throw this out there. You know, people say it's essential that I work to provide for my family, but at the same time, it's not essential that I go to church. Do you know anybody who thinks that way? I think there are a lot of people that think that way. You see, in the Bible, worship in the Old Testament, even if you were poor, you're supposed to worship. Even if you're poor, you're supposed to bring something to, the, to offer as a sacrifice to God. People today will worship sports, they'll worship entertainment, they'll worship the doll, they'll worship America, they'll worship leaders, they'll worship politicians. Sometimes they'll even worship a preacher. 
You'll get your chance in life to be idolatrous when it comes to worship. Don't worship things that you shouldn't worship. We see in verse number 16 here in the nature of worship. There are some that say they will never worship when it comes to idolatry. And I say hooray for these guys who say that they will never worship. The king says to him, hey, guys, get to it. You worship now, everything will be okay. But their response in verse 16 is this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of the hand of uh, uh, thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so what does the king get when it comes to this idea of, hey, you're going to worship? We're not doing it. And I think it's interesting in the Bible, we see three possible futures that these guys see if they don't worship. They don't worship. We see, first of all, they mention here that God will deliver them from the furnace. It says, if, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, will be able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. So they say, hey, God can deliver us from even going into the furnace. That's option, number one. Number two, again, when it comes to the future, as far as they were concerned, number two, God can deliver us from you, the king. It says, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. This, they knew, was at least part of their future, but they knew this was in their future. God would deliver them from the king. How could they say that God could deliver them from the king? Because if they die, they will be delivered from the king. Anyway, you look at it, whether they're delivered from the furnace, whether they're delivered from the king, if they die, even they will be delivered from the king. And so thirdly, you see another option, I guess, as they look at their future, it mentions there that God may not deliver them. You see that in verse number 18. But if not, if God doesn't do these two things, there's another option, and certainly I believe that they believe that God doesn't have to deliver, and God doesn't always deliver. But if not, in a trial or a test, I believe God can deliver. He can deliver from a furnace. He can deliver from a king. But he may choose not. And they were fine with that. But if not, we're still not going to do it. Doesn't matter again if God comes along and delivers us from the fire. So if we enter into the fire, we're still not going to be worshiping. It doesn't matter if He doesn't deliver us from you immediately, King. We know that we're not going to do this. Job 13, verse 5, you can write that down. The Bible says, Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. That must have been the mentality of these men. Though He slay me, Yet will I trust him. And though you slay me, the king, I'm going to trust the Lord. We see in trials, again, this, this response, we're never going to worship. We're never going to do this. You think about the stubbornness, really, of someone like Patrick Henry that said, give me liberty or give me death. 
He had set his course. He wasn't turning back. Give me liberty or give me death, and along comes the American Revolution. I'm not saying anything that, that pertains to today at all, but I'd say there was no fear of death that would change the mind of these men. And for Patrick Henry, it didn't matter to him whether he would die or live. He said, give me liberty or give me death. Liberty or death, two choices. For these guys, it was, we're not worshiping. We're not going to fall down. We see the extreme rage of the king that follows in verse number 19. Then said Nebuchadnezzar, then was Nebuchadnezzar uh, full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that he shouldn't heat the furnace uh, once seven times more than it was heated, or it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were with his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceeding hot and the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's sad. Some of the best men in his army died as he threw these men into the, they threw these men into the furnace. We see the stream anger of the king to these loyal worshipers of God. He was full of fury because they were faithful to God. They weren't going to bow to the king or to this image. Due to the extreme wrath of this king, he had the furnace heated up, heated up more, so these men would perish, at least he thought, in his mind. I'm sure most people thought in their mind, they're going to be burnt by this fire in the furnace. But notice here in verse number 23 and verse number 24, we see here in the Bible three bound and not burnt in the furnace. Verse 23, it says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then said Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the, in the midst of fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king, and he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We see in the Bible the extreme wrath of the king. We see again three bound and not burnt in the fire. Isaiah 43, let's turn over there quickly. Isaiah 43, three bound placed in the fire to be burnt in the fire, to be consumed by the fire, to be killed by the fire, to be devoured by the fire, and yet they weren't burnt. Bound and not burnt. Isaiah 43, verse number 2, the Bible says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overthrow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. No flame kindling. And no burning. Certainly this happened when it came to these three men. Let's turn back to Daniel chapter 3. We see three bound and not burnt in the fire. But we see four loosed in the fire. And not burnt either. There's a fourth in the fire. In verse number uh, 25 there. 
Genesis, uh, sorry, Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, it says, And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. We see four loose in the fire, not burned to fire. I believe Christ is a theophany, or Christophany as we call it, appeared there in the fire with these three men. Jesus joined the faithful in the fire. God loosed the faithful in the fire. The Bible says they're not loose. How did they get loose? They didn't get loose because they can unbind themselves. Someone had to come along and loose them in the fire. And I would say that had to be the Son of God. God came to help and assist the faithful in the fire. And I just want to mention this. God will always come and help the faithful in a fire, a fiery trial. God has the power to take away hurt when it comes to the fire. These lovers of God, these trusters of God were delivered from the heat and the flame and the fire and the smoke and everything that had to do with the fire that they were tossed into. And this king that wanted to kill them wasn't able to even consume them or hurt them at all. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so God didn't leave these to be burnt in the fire. He came in the fire. He loosed them in the fire. He walked with them in the fire. And that's interesting to see, walking with the fire. I wonder what they were doing as they were walking through the fire together, all four. And then finally, we see here in verse number 26, we see again, a call to be taken out of the fire. And I just want to say this about fiery trials. I believe a lot of times in time we're going to be taken out of the fire. Verse 26, it says there, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. You see them listening now to the king. He says, come out of the fire. And they come out of the fire. Notice what happened to them while they were in the fire. We see a call to come out of the fire. And I believe God will call us to come out of the fire. As Noah's called to come out of that ark. And it was time for him to leave this fiery trial behind. Just like these men were to leave this fiery trial behind. And we see in verse number 27 a powerful deliverance from the fire. Verse number 27, it says, And the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men. I wonder why it says this. They were watching all this stuff was going on. They must have been near. They must have been there when the king said, Hey, you're going to, I would throw these guys in the fire and you're going to be around to see them consumed in the fire. And they spent some time in the fire and they didn't get killed in the fire. And they come out of the fire Verse 27, it says, And being gathered together, saw these men upon their bodies. The fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed. Neither were the coats changed, nor the smell of folk had, had passed on them. All these guys saw this. All these leaders saw this. Not just the king said this. There's no hair singed. There's no burnt garments. There's no smell of fire or smoke here. A complete and miraculous preservation from an extremely powerful, consuming fire. Kind of reminds me of hell a little bit, right? God keeps us from a fire like that too. God received the glory through this trial of faith. You see there in verse number 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I made a decree that every, every people, nation, language which speaketh any amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let me say these uh, things about the nature of the trial. God received, his, received glory through this trial. God was recognized as being so much more powerful than any other God in this trial. He was declared to be the amazing delivering, delivering God in this trial. He was able to deliver his servants that trusted him in this trial. Although this king was a great and mighty king during this time, he was no match for the greatness and power of God. God got glory through this trial. And these men were rewarded at the end of this trial. Verse number 30, it says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God took care of them. The king promoted them. The faithfulness of God was shown in this fiery trial. The nature of this trial was very intense, not one that most people would go to. If you heard a decree that if you wouldn't bow before a particular idol, and if you wouldn't bow before that idol, you'd be cast in a fiery furnace, most people would say, not going that way. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. But the faith of these men, the trust of these men, was enormous during this time. I mean, just being thrown in that regular furnace, uh, a regular fiery furnace, and then having that furnace heated up so much that the guys that would bring you to that furnace would be killed by the fire as they brought you to that furnace and threw you into that furnace. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 18, the Bible says this, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul said that the Lord shall deliver me from every work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. At worst, they would be delivered into the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, if God didn't spare them from this fiery trial. But he did spare them. But I want to talk briefly about why. And I just want to mention four reasons why I believe God delivered them from this trial. First of all, I believe he delivered them from this trial to test their loyalty towards God. He brought this trial into their life to test their loyalty to God. And certainly that's really, really what this whole chapter deals with. What is your loyalty to God? Will you bow to an idol or will you continue to serve God? It was also a test of faith in God. Could God deliver them and would God take care of them? A test of faith and trust. Able to deliver from a fire? They knew that. Able to deliver from a king? That's happened throughout history. But may not choose to deliver them? They understood that too. That sometimes God doesn't deliver. And for good reason. It is providence. He may not deliver from death. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. At worst, they would have been delivered into heaven. They would have still been delivered from the king, and they would have still been delivered from the fire. 
But there was a test of faith and trust in God. Trials come to test our trust and our faith. They test our loyalty. They also show the goodness and greatness of God. I want you to just look at this in verse number 23 as we back up here just a little bit here. Just about done here tonight. They show the goodness and greatness of God. In verse number 23, it said, Then the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. I wonder what they did there for a moment of time. Nobody, it's not really recorded what they did there. It doesn't say that they prayed there. It doesn't say anything that they did there, but they were thrown in there. They were bound in there. What did they do there? I don't know what they did there. I would guess they were still trusting in God there, though. And so they relied on the goodness and the greatness of God, and so God allowed them to be bound and tossed in the fire, but God would not allow them to be burned by the fire, and God came along and loosed them from the fire, and God preserved them from the fire, and God, again, allowed them to come out of the fire, and they got to walk with Jesus in the midst of the fire. Imagine all the things that they experienced because they trusted in God in this fire. He showed his love to these men. He showed his deliverance to these men. He showed his glory to all these other leaders and this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so God showed his goodness and greatness in the fire. And he finally, through this trial, he got others to change their thoughts about God through the trial. Their thoughts about God. Think of, think of what happened in Nebuchadnezzar there. It says in verse 20, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Boy, those are weird words to come out of a heathen king that is an idolater. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants and the trust in him and has changed the king's words. And yield their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a degree that every people, nation, language to speak anything against uh, the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abel should be cut, out, cut in pieces and their house should be a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. This god is amazing. You know, through trials, people can see God as a great deliverer. Again, I think the purpose of this trial was to show God is a great deliverer. And, and, and they might have sought to destroy him, uh, destroy these people that defied the order, but God delivered them. Let's turn to Psalm 121, and we'll close here this evening. Psalm chapter 121. I'm going to read a few verses out of here, and we'll end here tonight. Why the fiery trials to test your loyalty? to test your faith and your trust in God, to show the goodness and greatness of God to take you out of a fire or out of a trial, and finally, to change other people's minds concerning the true God. Psalm 121 here, verse number 5 through verse number 8, it says, The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee uh, by day, Know the moon by night, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time and even forevermore. God will preserve, the Bible says, his own. And he shall preserve thy soul in the end. The purpose of the trials is to show the goodness, the greatness, the power, the wonder, 
of God and also to test our loyalty and test our, tra- our faith and trust in God. That's why we sometimes have trials. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.